Sisters and brothers, let us remain in prayer on the theme, the consistency of Christ. The letter to the Hebrews has for us in that eighth verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You may have heard me say, I find that the longer I live in the North, the more I appreciate my Southern upbringing. Yes, I've been here long enough now, they tell me, to claim New York as home. Been here over 20 years now, and yet when you hear me, they tell me quickly, before I can identify it myself, that I'm not from here. But I still have to claim it as home, they tell me, because it's been over 10 years. But just the other day, I was reminded that I did not have the same perspective on entertaining visitors and guests as in the past. It wasn't long after living in New York that I learned an ethic of hospitality from my upbringing that didn't mesh well with my northern residential status. And the sensibilities of those around me, even when I lived in the District of Columbia, I wasn't quite prepared for the up south social mores and practices for guests. You see, back home, it was okay to have unannounced visitors, people who would just stop by and <laughs> knock on your door. It was okay and we would welcome them in. No big deal in my household. I thought that's what everyone did until I ventured north. One of the things this epistle today and the gospel lesson both show us is that they address hospitality and customs for entertaining others. The letter to the Hebrews focuses on mutual love and entertaining strangers, while the gospel speaks to the hosting of a party where none of the invited guests decide to show up. I don't know about first century ethics, but in the 21st century, that would not go over where, very well. Yes, it's hard enough getting people to RSVP so that your caterers will have a proper count. You'll have enough supplies and you'll have seating for everyone. But we're not so good with that, are we? Yes, and growing up in my small town of Chiraw, South Carolina, there was a common practice in our household. You see, yes, it was common for me until it took quite a long time for me to accept that others had a different philosophy. It was a small-scale philosophy, down south, homespun on hospitality. It was not uncommon, nor was it frowned upon, to welcome the unannounced guests in our home. We would welcome those persons, related or unrelated, to come inside our home if they dropped by. I know, right? You wouldn't do that here. This is almost unheard of in New York, and when it does happen, it is frowned upon, as I quickly learned. We never turned anyone away. In fact, we would customarily open our door to welcome the person or family inside, offer a beverage, even invite them to dinner if we were approaching mealtime. Yes, there my mom goes off trying to make that meal stretch so that everyone would have enough. My mother was reared that way, and so were we. I didn't know there was anything different. And aside from that one time when a cousin who came by unannounced and ended up staying for six months, 
that's a true story. I can't make this stuff up. I, I didn't know what was wrong with just showing up. You know, I'm in the neighborhood, or I was down the street, or I was close by shopping, or I had to run an errand over here. We were just stopping by. Hmm. That didn't go over so well. The cousin who stays six months now lives in my hometown. The cousin didn't at that time, but our hospitality was so great that he decided to just stay, and my mother made it so welcoming and so inviting and just was absolutely unheard of that you would just leave and you have no place to go. What happened between leaving up south and coming down south, I don't know. I still don't rightly recall, as we would say back home. But I wondered, outside of this cousin, if any uh, who left our home with, you know, the thought of James Whitcomb Riley's poem in mind, if they thought of us in such high esteem, poem on the cover from a parting guest, Riley wrote, what delightful hosts they are. Life and love, lingeringly I turn away. This late hour, yet glad enough, they have not withheld from me their high hospitality. Would they say that of you, your guests? The good thing about the readings has to do with the role that the person of Jesus the Christ is as a consistent Savior. Yes, as we place our attention on the Hebrew letter this morning, we read the closing argument from a book that has consistently emphasized good Christian conduct and appropriate behavior for communities coming together. It doesn't simply place attention on individual piety and prosperity. It moves us to a place to attend to the matters of others, especially the most vulnerable among us. You see, worship fuels our discipline to serve others. The fact that we gather here gives us strength to go back out there and even fight the wiles of the evil one. And the Hebrew writer reminds us that giving care, consideration, and compassion to strangers is a new kind of reaching out in love. The genuine sense of looking beyond oneself after the way of Jesus our consistent savior, to see others at their point of need takes intentionality. It takes an eye for the spirit and a way to discern when others are lowly. It points us outside of ourselves. It points us away from aggrandizing the self, but to look and lift up others. It takes being challenged outside of our comfort zones, beyond our families of origin, beyond our circle of friends, beyond our safe networks and cliques. The writer challenges us to prepare to welcome strangers, those whom we don't know. This includes the other, yes, the other, the undocumented and the one whose path is not aligned with our own, the one who speaks another language, the one who's from another country, the one who has another custom than our own. Nothing about this says play it safe. Nothing says perpetuate the status quo. Nothing here promotes sameness. Instead, we I encourage here to remember that God's love sets the standard by which we interact with others. 
The truth is, this closing salutation stretches us to think about walking in another person's shoes. Yes, the person who is hungry, the person, yes, who is homeless, the person who is jobless, the person whose English isn't so good, how to navigate systems here of oppression that are designed to weigh them down. No, it's never ideal to note that yet another mass shooting has happened, but we see how genuine the connection of the human spirit is once we open ourselves up to someone else. The problem is, why does it have to take a tragedy for us to identify with another person's pain? Hurt is hurt. Grief is grief. No one, not even a Christian, lives a good life 100% of the time. Doing good means following in the way of Jesus. And the Gospel of Matthew puts it this way and admonishes us in this regard. I was a stranger and you welcomed me consistent. I was naked and you gave me clothing, consistent. I was sick and you took care of me, consistent. I was in prison and you visited me, consistent. If Jesus were to be anything other than consistent, many of us would be in a world of trouble right now. The writer to the Hebrews moves from exhorting the people to allow mutual love to guide their lives, their actions, their words, to the assurance that a consistent Savior has not and will not ever change. I'm so thankful for verse 8, where the writer teaches us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. With so many hurting people, so many social ills, so many issues plaguing our psyche and plaguing our nation, so many things plaguing our world, so many things working against our ecology. We need a consistent Savior. One who was the same yesterday, that's right, the same Savior that my grandmother had and my mother had is the same Savior that I have today to call upon, is the same Savior that my children will have on tomorrow to call upon. I'm thankful that he is consistent. When there's so many things changing in the world and we can't even understand what's happening with climate control, but yet we need a consistent Savior. We can't understand what's happening with gun control, and yet we need a consistent Savior. The one whom we celebrate and worship. Jesus, who is the Christ, is consistent. The one whom we seek to emulate and educate our children about his teachings is consistent. The one who heals and helps when we're hurting is consistent. I want to tell the people in Texas about a consistent Savior, those who are hurting and in sorrow. Because in Jesus we see the ultimate example of service and love. He is a centerpiece for our faith. He said he came not to be served, but to serve. 
Yes, he enacted the word of God. He spoke the word of God and blessed the lives of others with the word of God. With Jesus being our model and our, our God, I, I think of Nikki Giovanni who said, religion gives people the ability to stand up and demand change. And as a community of followers and believers in the way, we gain strength at the table so that we might begin to demand change. Only through consistent behavior, like I saw back home, can we become pleasing to God. As the writer closes this argument for how we are to relate to others, the writer was very well aware that there is a community here that the writer was addressing, very much experienced persecution in their time, very well aware of imprisonment and had experienced it in their time, and yes, even the loss of property as a result of their faith. And so, yes, like then, we now need not only a word of encouragement, but we need to know that there is a consistent Savior who was the same yesterday, who is the same today, and will be forevermore. Some of these lessons, as we read to our children, my eight- and five-year-old grapple with some of these lessons at the table. And one of the ways they were able to, I think, get this one at the dinner table just a couple of nights ago, in our talking about this, and they're asking about strangers, and what does that mean? Because with children, you know, you have this notion of teaching them about stranger danger, and then God's word is teaching them to welcome the stranger, be kind to the stranger, and you're trying to help an eight- and a five-year-old understand what kind of stranger is this now? Help me understand. And what we wanted them to know was uh, not only about our experiences, and I told them about the story being back home where you could just knock on the door and show up at someone's house just to sit a spell. You didn't need to borrow eggs or sugar or anything else. You just thought of them and stopped by, and it was a welcome thing. But we talked about the golden rule at the dinner table. And helping my daughter, who's eight, get this, we talked about when you put goodness out, goodness comes back to you. When you put kindness out, kindness comes back to you. When you put compassion out, yes, kindness comes back to you. When you put love out, love comes back to you. And so the writer here, the author of this letter, opens the closing chapter or offers an epilogue with the words, let mutual love continue. But we are challenged to find ways to show this mutual love and genuine empathy the writer speaks about. We're challenged because as of yesterday, we have just witnessed, yes, the third mass shooting in a month leaving another five dead and 21 injured. Sadly, this is coming, it's happening too quickly. It's coming too often. And it's hard for your children to even watch the news with you. It's not a family affair anymore. But one thing they need is a consistent message of love. One thing I think we all need is a consistent message of hope. One thing I know we need is a consistent measure of God's mercy. And yes, even a consistent message and a deliberate plan to stop the carnage. 
When 14-year-old Emmett Till was murdered in Mississippi in 1955, it is said that some 50,000 people or so gathered and walked by the casket to see. As his mother Mamie Till said, what hate will do. And to comfort his mother Mahalia Jackson sang the song Pilgrim of Sorrow. I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow, cast out in this wide world to roam. My brothers and sisters won't own me. They say that I'm weak and I'm poor, but Jesus, Father the Almighty, had bade me to enter the door. Sometimes I'm almost driven till I know not where to roam. I've heard of a city called heaven. I've started to make it my home. In worship, but beyond these walls. We need to be more than just about talking about heaven. Our faith should inform our fellowship. Our faith should inform our perspective. Our faith should inform our actions. Our faith should inform our words. And yes, our faith should inform our love. I don't move too quickly to stop by anywhere unannounced anymore. And thank goodness for smartphones, I can dial and say, I'm coming into your neighborhood. Would you mind a visit? But when we see another news report of a shooting in a school, in a Walmart, in a church, in a synagogue, in a nightclub, at a concert, on the road, these things were unannounced, and yet now people are gone. There is no mutual love active in our midst when we see these things, but yes, we need Jesus. We need Jesus, our all-sufficient and consistent Savior, to give us hope, to encourage our hearts, to shower us with mercy, and yes, to share a little love. We need the one who was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore.